Here's what's happening as we're in this series. It's complicated. All, all of our campuses, well, four out of the five of our campuses, not Mabel Bassett, submitted questions to be answered in regards to relationships. And there were a lot of questions submitted. So there is no way that we can answer every single question individually. But we're going to do our best to, to answer as many questions as we, as we can. And we've combined some of the questions together because there were a lot of questions about dating, how to date, how to find a spouse. There were a lot of questions about dating. And there were a lot of questions about marriage and, and, and particularly struggling marriages. A lot of questions around those, those topics. And so we're going to try to answer as many of those questions as we can. And we're going to begin by talking about dating how do you find the right spouse? What do you think, Tiffany? Well, the first thing is you have to know what you're looking for. You have to have a target, something um, that you can aim for. If you don't have a target, you're just going to be shooting arrows in all different directions, just hoping that you land on the lucky guy or the lucky woman, which chances are that's probably not going to happen. So here are a few things that we believe that if you look for these things, if you make these things the target that you're looking for, um, you will find a great potential dating partner spouse. The first thing is Jesus. Do they have their own personal relationship with Jesus? Um, is it something that is real to them and not just something they're doing to get you? Um, are they committed to church attendance? Are they committed to serving? Are they giving of their time and investing in other people? Are they tithing? Um, are they involved in a small group? Are they intentionally investing in Christian relationships um, that help them to grow in their walk with the Lord? Um, also, do they have a job? And, and have they kept a job for a while? This is a good indicator if they can stick with something. So that's important. Um, and also, I would say that you need to look at how they treat their parents, um, their family members, their friends. Um, this is a good indicator of how they will treat you. Um, how they treat their family in the good times and bad times is an indicator of how they'll treat you. So good. I just echo what Tiffany said. I mean, I hear a lot of people say, well, I'm dating this guy or this girl, and, and, and they just they started to come to church with me implying they did not go to church before. That's already a bad sign. You got, you got a bad sign. You got to, and they need to be in, they need, Tiffany had her own relationship with Jesus and still does. I have my own relationship with Jesus. I'm not serving Jesus for Tiffany and she's not serving Jesus for me. And that's the foundation of a great relationship in marriage is you got to both be in love with Jesus. And I would say this to you. Uh, how do you find the right spouse? Well, you attract who you are not what you want. So, so you're, not, you're not going to marry who you want. You're going to marry who you are. So what you want to focus on is becoming the right person. Because if you will be the right person, you will attract the right person. So, so, so it's really key. So people don't understand this, this principle. Just you attract who you are, not what you want. And so if you want to attract the right person, you got to be the right person. If you want to attract somebody on fire for God who loves God, who sold out to Jesus, you have to be what, you're at, what you want to attract. And then if you say this, you say, well, pastor, you know, I just seem to attract all the wrong girls. I just seem to attract all the wrong guys. Something's wrong with you. Come on, somebody. If that's all, that, come. How are you living then? If, if, if you all you attract is mess, you got to evaluate yourself. So you, be the right person. 
and then you can attract the right person. Anything else you would add on finding the right spouse? Um, I would say that you definitely need to choose the right friends. You know, they say birds of a feather flock together. And so if you're hanging out with the wrong friends, you are going to end up in the wrong environments. And on the flip side, if you're hanging out with the right friends, you'll end up in the good, right environments where you can find those potential spouses. I love what 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And I remember when I was in college, Herbert and I had started um, talking, and we were hanging out, kind of feeling each other out, starting to like each other. She was already in love. She's not telling y'all the truth, y'all. So she, she talking about she's gonna marry me the first time we went up. But that's another story. That's another sermon. We'll preach that later. It's true. I hear from the Lord, and so I knew that He was my spouse. But anyways. <laughs> So we, we were talking, um, and one night, the girls on my floor were going to a party. Now, this is not something that I really did. I was not a partier, but I just thought, well, maybe tonight, maybe I'll go. And um, I started to walk out the dorm with those friends, and something in me just got all upset, and I just knew I should not be going with this group of people to this party. I knew that it would not end up good, that the atmosphere, the environment, I would make wrong choices. And so in that moment, I just said, girls, I'm so sorry. I'm going back to my dorm room. I just don't feel like I should go to the party. Well, what I didn't know is that that decision was so crucial because if I had decided to go with that group of girls to the party, Herbert and I would never have started dating because to him, that would have been an indication of the fruit of my life, what my priorities were. And he was wanting somebody who was in love with Jesus, who was committed to church, all of those things that we talked about in the target. And so that was such a crucial decision for me in making a decision on my friends and what my environments were going to be. And that's so important in relationships. Yeah, I, I didn't want to marry no girl up in the club. Come on, somebody. That was not, huh? You, you can go on up there if you want to, but uh, me and you is not going to be talking no more. I love, I'm praying for you, though. Amen. And so you attract who you are, not what you want. Um, here, 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 this is a specific question somebody asked, and it just it touched my heart. So I want to share this question. It says, with a fresh year, speaking of 2017, and a fresh beginning God has created in me, I decided to be celibate. My question is, how do I fight the temptation of sin? First of all, Whoever sent this question in, me, my wife and I, we have no idea who, who texted these questions in. What I want you to know is I'm proud of you. Like, this question blessed my heart. It's 2017. God's doing something fresh in my life. I've been engaging in sexual activity. I'm going to stop. How do, I, how do I stay pure? Proud of you. Way to go. Way to go. Just way to go. Way to go. I also like the fact that, that you called it sin, mm -hmm. that you realize this doesn't honor God. And that's huge. And just way to go that you say, you know, how do I honor God with my, with my life? So I would say a, a, a couple of different things. First of all, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 says this, run from sexual sin. So when it comes to sexual sin, any type of sexual sin, you have to run from it. You have to flee it. You, sexual sin is not something you can play around with. You can't flirt with it. You can't say, I'm so strong, I can have, no, don't flirt with it. Run from it. Flee it. That, that has to be your posture. I'm going to run from it. I'm going to keep myself out of environments where I could fall. That means, you know, you can't be 
in the car parked at 2 a.m. at the park. Talking about, well, we're just going to talk and pray. No. No, I'm telling you. I'm telling you that's not good. So you got to flee, run from sexual sin. Now, notice what it goes on to say. Uh, in, this is 1 Corinthians 6, 18 I'm reading to you. It says, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now, now understand this. Sexual sin, when it comes to sexual sin, it's not worse than any other sin. So I want you, you have to grasp that. Sexual sin is not worse than any, uh, uh, in, than any other sin, but it is different. It's different. It's different than other sins. Sexual sin, the Bible says it's, it's a sin against your own body. And when you engage in sex outside of, of the marriage arena, can I tell you, it's different. People lose their mind. They don't even think right. It, it messes with people. It's, it's, a, man, it's a sin against your own body. Have you noticed people, you know, ugly people become pretty when they get engaged. And come on up. Mean people become nice in their eyes. They don't think right. People make crazy decisions, get married to the wrong person because they get, they get motions raging and hormones raging. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. This is, a, this is a good gift. But it's for the context of marriage. It's for the marriage arena. It's a wonderful gift. So let's look, as I'm answering this question for you, I want to give you just the theology, the theology of, of, of just of sex. And it says this in Hebrews 13, verse 4. It says marriage should be honored by all. I love that. So we should all respect and honor marriage, whether you're single, whether you're married. Man, everybody should say it should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. And here's what I want you to notice. For God will judge the adulterer. That's, that's people who are married and having sex outside of their marriage. God will judge. It says, and not just married folks, but and all the sexually immoral, those who are not married but engaging in, in sex. And it says, God will judge. In other words, you will not experience God's best engaging in sex before marriage. See, Pastor, what do I do? What do I do? Run from it, get away from it, and realize I'm not going to experience God's best yielding to temptation. And here's what I would say a third thing is this, Psalms 119 verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. You got to come on, get the word in you. How, Pastor, what do I do? Be in church. Pray. Read the word every day. Come on, you can't make it on your own. Get in God's word. Be in church. Pray. Seek God. Serve. Be in a small group. Develop yourself. Chase after Jesus. Verse 10 says, I seek you with all my heart. How does a young person stay pure? Seek God with all your heart. Give him everything you got. Seek God. Do not let me stray from your commands. He says this, I have hidden your word in my heart. I'm going to keep hiding your word. I'm going I'm to put your word in me that I might not sin against you. So you got, you got to, you got to, you got to serve God, pray, seek God, be in church, small group, develop yourself, choose the right friends. And I would say this, only go out with someone that you would consider them to be a potential spouse. Don't just go out to go out, don't date to date. Matter of fact, I don't even mess with you. I'll, I will mess up your mind telling you my theology of dating because I just don't believe in it. So that's, uh, perhaps you're crazy. That's all right. I'm crazy. But I don't believe in let's date and fall in love and break up and break each other's hearts. I'm going to date again, fall in love, break my heart again. Date and fall in love, break my heart again. Date and fall in love, break my heart again. Date and fall in love, break my heart again. I'm going to cry, but God, bring me the right person. Date and fall in love. I just don't believe in this. So that's a whole nother a whole other sermon. Pastor, you meddling. I know I'm meddling. I know I'm meddling. I don't have time to teach it to you today, but I'm meddling today. 
But when you go out, go out with somebody that you believe really loves Jesus. They have the fruit. The Bible says you shall know them by their fruit. Check out their fruit. And one of the best ways you can check out their fruit is check out their friends. Come on, their friends are crazy and partying and smoking reefer and lying and stealing. And you're like, oh, but I love him. I love her. Now you got the wrong one. I'm telling you. That's, you they, they got the wrong. Show me their friends and I'll show you their future. So, so you got you gotta you gotta only go out with somebody who's a potential spouse, and when you find out you after you go out, they're not, they don't have your values, move on. Move on. Move on. Here's a question that was submitted. And we had several along this line. How does God view a divorced person? When I read that question, it made me really feel like somebody's carrying condemnation and carrying shame. And I want you to know that Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, where would any of us be if it wasn't for the grace of God? Where would we be? Where would I be? So who, who, those of you that are asking the question, how does God view a divorced person? Here's what I want you to know. God loves you. He loves you. God, God, listen, some of you today, you need to receive God's love. You need to receive God's grace and his healing power into your life. Here, here's what I would tell you. Stop living backwards and start living forward. So you're living backwards. Listen, you can't unscramble eggs. You got to live forward. Quit living backwards. Quit beating yourself up. Quit living in shame. Quit living in condemnation. Thank God for grace, mercy, forgiveness. Thank God there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop living backwards and start living forwards. So I just want to tell somebody today that you're carrying that shame and guilt and condemnation. That it's not of the Lord. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There was a question that I want to answer before I throw it back to Tiffany. And that is this. Someone asked, I'm ready to be married and haven't found anybody. Matter of fact, we had several questions along that line of thought. Hey, I, I, I'm in, I, it sounds like they were implying, I love Jesus, I'm in church, I'm serving Jesus, and I'm ready to be married, and God has not brought me anybody yet. And so here's what I would say to you. Psalms 37 verse 4 says this. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, a lot of people focus on the last half of that verse. God will give me the desires of my heart. That's true, but you've got to have the first part too. Take delight in the Lord. So first I would say, are you taking delight in the Lord? Is your life honoring, honoring God? Is it in, in alignment with the word of God? Are you being faithful to God and faithful to his house, faithful to honor God, faithful to be in the right environments? Are, are, you, are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5 goes on to say this, though. Commit your way to the Lord. So commit your way. Commit to God. Serve God. Make him your delight and your desire. Commit your way to the Lord. The Bible says trust in him. Trust in him and he will do this. So you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm ready to be married, single or divorced and, and ready to be married again. And I, I'm believing God. He hasn't brought anybody. What do I do? Seek God with all your heart. Delight in him. Please him. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. And the Bible says this, trust in the Lord. Hear me today. Trust in the Lord. Well, what I would tell you is this. The only thing worse than not trusting God is wishing that you would have. Hear me, hear me again. The only thing worse than not trusting God is wishing 
that you would have. Can I tell you, it just never turns out well for people who run ahead of God. As Moses killing a man, as Abraham having Ishmael, it just doesn't work out. So I would tell you, do you trust God if you don't trust God? He has your best interest in mind. He knows the timing. He knows how to bring the person your way. But you have to trust God. Don't run ahead of God. Tiffany, I'll lob up the next one for you. Yes, so we also received a lot of questions specifically about dating your spouse and should we date our spouse? And I would say absolutely, you should definitely date. You should do the things that you did when you were dating and just continue to grow and doing things for your spouse. Um, really, what is dating? Dating is simply setting aside time for both of you to intentionally invest in one another. Dating is not about spending money. It's about spending time together. So there are so many things that you can do to intentionally invest, to intentionally put logs on the fire of your marriage. You know, for Herbert and I, as he said, we will be married 20 years this year, and that's a lot of years of dating. And we have done so many different kinds of dates, some that cost more money and some that cost none. So, for instance, um, there are times that we went and played basketball or tennis. Um, we've been to the theater. Uh, we've gone to the dollar movie theater, to the um, theaters where you can recline in the seats and be all comfy. Um, we have enjoyed nice restaurants, and we've even enjoyed Taco Bell. Um, there are just so many things that you can do. And, and Come on, somebody <laughs> say Chalupa. Come on, somebody. That's all I'm saying, a Chalupa. I know, that's That has nothing to do good. with what Tiffany's talking about, but I just want you to know I understand some Chalupa. Go ahead, Tiffany. I know, I know, baby. So... Um, <laughs> But there are so many things that you can do because what it is, is it's just about investing your time together to be focused on one another, um, to make each other a priority. Um, and so when you have young kids, I remember sometimes when our kids were really young and for us, sometimes it meant just putting them to bed early and turning off the TV and just having that time together to focus on one another, to talk, um, play games, whatever. I mean, there's just there's so many things that you can do, but you're going to have to be intentional about it, and you're going to have to put in some effort. Um, and as I said, this life that we live, we are so busy as humans. We have responsibilities of work. We have responsibilities of family, responsibilities um, with our friendships. And so if you're not intentional about making sure that dating your spouse is a priority, it's not going to happen. And so I just encourage you to be very intentional about that. And then we also received some questions about um, how can you afford or how can you get childcare um, for dates when you have young children children. And one of the great creative ways that you can do this is if you're involved in a small group, this is a perfect place for you to come together and help one another out. So maybe you trade off weeks and, you know, one week you take your kids to their house and then the other week they bring their kids to your house. And, you know, because they want you to flourish. You're with people in your small group who want your life to just um, thrive and to grow in Christ. And so that's a great way, um, just one creative way that you can do that. That's right, and I would say, because some of you are really bold, so you're going to, listen, you can't show up this week talking about, I'm not in your small group, watch my kids. That's not, that's not what we're saying, all right? So some of y'all need some teaching on this, all right? You got to be in a small group for the right reasons. But then there's some benefits to building relationships with other people and connecting with other people and that want to help you and thrive. And so we have, we have small groups that do that, and they watch child, children for each other and so on and so forth. So you can get creative. And I just echo what Tiffany says. It has to be a priority. Just like when you were single and you started dating, it was a priority. 
we're going to go out Wednesday at what time? We're going to go out, then you put it down the count and you would go out. It has to be that kind of priority uh, in your life. And for Tiffany and I, Thursday night, and probably about 90% of Thursday nights out of the year, we're on a date with one another. It is a priority and has been for many, 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 many years when they were, our kids were little and now we got a teenager, but we've always made it. Kids crying, putting them off, pulling them off of us. Get off of me. Yeah, don't leave. We're leaving. We are leaving. <laughs> so true. We are leaving now. <laughs> Cry all you want. One day you're going to be gone out this house and I still got to be with her. Cry. Uh, another question we got was just a lot of questions about marriage and struggling marriages. And we want to just talk about that few few moments, struggling marriages, and answer, try to answer a lot of those questions that were submitted. And so I would give an analogy, an illustration would be this. Uh, you know, a marriage is called a bucket. And uh, just when fresh water's coming into that bucket and just overflowing, it's just a thriving marriage. The, the water's filling up the bucket and just overflowing. That marriage is thriving and healthy and wonderful. And then what can happen in all marriages is you get a hole in the bucket, maybe a little small one, and the water starts to leak out. Then you get another hole in the bucket, and water leaks out, and a little hole in the bucket. And next thing you know, you get so many holes in your bucket, you can't even contain any water. And water's coming in, but you just can't contain any fresh water. And Tiffany and I have had holes in our bucket. So every married couple has had holes in the bucket. The issue is, will you be honest about the hole? And will you get the hole patched up so that you can get fresh water to stay in your bucket and have a healthy and thriving marriage? So I want to talk for a few moments about, we want to talk about just how do you patch up the holes in a marriage that's struggling? And you may have a lot of holes. We hope to help you for a few moments on patching those up. I'll let Tiffany start it out. Um, well, one of the um, holes that we feel like we got a lot of questions about was about friendships with the opposite sex. And so this means that one spouse in the relationship is developing and investing in relationships with somebody of the opposite sex. And so this might be done through texting, through social media, maybe talking on the phone. Um, but regardless of what the activity is, this is creating insecurity um, in your spouse. And um, your spouse is not weak for feeling this way. Um, they're not wrong for feeling this way. In fact, it probably is because they really care about you and they care about the marriage. It's a totally natural response. And it's not healthy for your marriage. You are putting a wedge. Um, you are just, that hole is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger because there's going to be mistrust, doubt, um, that insecurity is just going to create all kinds of emotions within your spouse um, that will negatively impact the marriage. And so what I want you to know is that those areas, they can be rebuilt. You can patch up those holes. And it'll take investment. It'll take time to rebuild trust. Um, but you can correct um, those behaviors by um, establishing boundaries. You know, Herbert and I, from day one, established boundaries and how that we would conduct ourselves with the opposite sex. And we have been faithful to those. And it has built, built great trust within, within our marriage. Um, and if anything does um, happen out of our control um, or something that um, would go against those boundaries, we are so open to talk to one another about it and say, hey, babe, I just want to let you know um, I got this, uh, somebody was talking to me or, you know, whatever it is. We just, anything we can do to maintain that trust in our marriage um, and not create insecurity um, and jealousy and doubt. Yeah, we, we share each other's passwords, so... 
I can go get on her phone now. She can get on my phone. We can get on each other's social media accounts. We just have nothing, nothing to hide. Uh, we just we want to have that kind of relationship. And so outside of work, we have work, our kids' ball game schedules, and so on and so forth. That's the only time that we're contacting or in communication with someone of the opposite sex. We just, you know, here's the motto we live. We live by the MC Hammer motto. Can't touch this. <laughs> so I just, I just, I just, uh-uh. We're just not, uh-uh. We're just not going to play that. We're just not going to. No, I don't want to be your friend. I got a friend. That's my woman right there. She, she, doesn't, she don't need no other men friend. I'm, I'm the man. I am the man. I'm the man. Don't be calling my wife. I'm the man. I'm calling her. Thank you, Jesus. So that's just, our, but you know what? There were, a lot, there, were, there were several questions in regards to that. So some of you are saying, this is extreme. What y'all talking about is extreme. All we are doing is responding to people that are hurting right now. They're saying, this is going on in my marriage and it's hurting me. It's hurting me. And I'm saying, you got to stop it. You got to honor your spouse. You got to build security and safety in the marriage. Another one would, would, was the hole of infidelity. How do you patch up that hole? I would just say several quick things on patching up the hole of infidelity. And the first thing is it takes genuine repentance. If you stepped out on your spouse, you have to genuinely repent genuinely want to get things right with the Lord and with your spouse. It takes genuine repentance. And then it takes putting Jesus first. You have to put the Lord first. And then I would encourage you to get professional biblical counseling. Professional biblical counseling. It will help. It will help somebody to process and to give you biblical coaching and guidance. I encourage that. I'm a big, big, big proponent of professional biblical counseling. And then I would say this, do the necessary work to build trust. Something that I've noticed, because, you know, we get to help a lot of broken and hurting people. We love it. We love helping people. And and that is this, people will say, it's been two months, they ought to trust me. No, 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 no. You don't understand how trust works. Trust is something that's not given, it's earned. And you, you, you could spend... You can, spend, you can spend 20 years building trust and lose it in a day, in a moment. And then it's going to take you, it might take you another 20 to rebuild it. And so you have to understand to rebuild it. You have to actually rebuild trust. And that takes time and it takes effort. It takes work. And for every marriage, it's different. Depending on your spouse and what's transpired and what's happened. But you have to do the, realize, this is going to be hard work to rebuild trust. And then once you have rebuilt trust, then there's the hard work of continuing to, 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 to do the necessary work to maintain the trust. So you got trust, but now how do you maintain it? And so you, there's, there's just, that's going to be a lifetime of maintaining trust in that relationship. So God can help you. He can restore a broken marriage of infidelity, but it will take doing these necessary steps. Tiffany, holes. Yes, so another area is the whole of selfishness. We received so many questions about feeling like you're doing that the, everything right in your spouse is still not investing in you or um, making you feel loved or appreciated. Um, and so what I would tell you is that um, oftentimes what can happen is we're so busy focusing on our spouse's shortcomings, on the holes that they have in their bucket, that we're not even aware of our own shortcomings and that we are just leaking water from the bucket as well. 
And so I think that we just need to be able to humble ourselves and take an honest look at our lives and not get so laser focused just on our spouse and everything they're doing wrong, but take our eyes off of them for a moment and just try to examine our own hearts. Um, and then sometimes, honestly, you're doing everything you need to do. You are doing everything right and your spouse is still acting selfishly. And in those situations, I would just remind you that you cannot change your spouse, you cannot control your spouse. It doesn't matter what you do, if they don't want to love, act in loving ways towards you or invest in you, you can't change that. And so I know that that can be discouraging to hear, but you just need to continue doing what you're doing, continue to be faithful to the Lord. I think that, um, one of the things I love is you can never go wrong choosing love. First Peter 4, 8 says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. It is this kind of love, this real love that comes from Christ that can help to stop the root of selfishness. And so I would just encourage you to keep plowing ahead, keep doing what you know to do. And then lastly, I would encourage you with this thought. Have you prayed about it as much as you've talked about it? Or have you prayed about it as much as you've worried about it? Um, I would just say pray, 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 and bring it before the Lord. So good, so good. The whole of intimacy, how do you patch that up? So we had several questions about intimacy and marriage. And the first thing I would say is abuse is wrong. So there were questions about that. Any type of verbal, physical, sexual, it's wrong. In marriage, it's wrong in any relationship. It's wrong in marriage. So um, definitely, there's no condoning that it's wrong. Uh, communication is key. I would just say in, to a thriving relationship, a thriving marriage, it takes a lot of communication. And one, one of the tough things, even for Tiffany and I to talk about, is intimacy. But we've, we've talked about it and we talk about it. And you've got you to be willing to talk about it. Um, otherwise, you're going to be missing the mark. And so you've got to be willing to talk about it from issues to pain to expectations talk about it and then I would say this to you regarding intimacy and marriage and what's happening in the bedroom is only a reflection of what's happening in the living room if you're not cultivating intimacy in the living room you're not gonna have it in the bedroom so the real issue you have to really start looking at is how's our relationship outside the bedroom because if you're looking for Shazam in the bedroom and it's messed all up in the kitchen and it's messed up in the living room and it's messed up, messed up, the bedroom only heightens what's going on in the relationship. And so I would just encourage you, you got to get the living room right first. You got to get the kitchen right first. And then the overflow will show up in, in the bedroom. And you got to just patch those holes. Um, just quickly, a couple of more I want to hit real quick before we close. And that is the, the hole of in-laws. So lots of questions on in-laws and they're coming over too much. What do we do? I don't want to go over. They're coming over. What do we do? His mama, my mama, your daddy, your daddy. I mean, there's a lot of questions about that, right? So several questions. Now, let me tell you what I can't do as your pastor. So there's this thing called knowledge. So I can give you knowledge of the word of God. And then there's wisdom. Wisdom is applying knowledge to a particular situation. And because every situation is different, I don't have context for all the situations. I'm not just going to start telling you wisdom on how to apply to your particular situation because I don't know it. So what I'm going to do is just give you some, some knowledge, some ways to get more knowledge so that you can get wisdom. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord and begin, begin to apply the knowledge to your particular situation. Here's a book I would recommend to you, for those of you that are asking questions. 
about in-laws and would be Henry Cloud. It's called Boundaries. It's a great book on boundaries in, in all relationships. And so I would encourage you to get this book, to, to read this book and begin to get wisdom on how you apply this knowledge to your particular situation. Um, there were several, several, several questions on, is there any hope for a dying marriage? And it was phrased many different ways, but our marriage is struggling. I don't think it's going to make it. Is there any hope? And here's what I would say. In Matthew 19, verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. And as I read a lot of the questions and I read every single one of them, um, some, of, some, some of them felt just hopeless. And with man, it just, it's hopeless. But he goes on to say, but with God, all things are possible. I want you to know, with you, no, it's not possible. With God, I really, with God, I don't care how hopeless, how broken, how messed up, how jacked up your marriage looks. With God, all things are possible. Last week, when I was out loving on people in the hallway, a couple walked up to me and said, uh, we've been divorced. And because of this church and this series, we're reconciling our marriage. It blessed my heart last week. With God, with God, all things are possible. He can bring dead things back to life again. Pastor, my marriage is dead. I mean dead, dead. Jesus can bring it back to life again. So there is hope with God.